The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout heresy, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own. That's what makes this country great, and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive! So there isn't much you can do about it, Chotterhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. If Patrick Henry were still alive, he would listen to the Constitution Hour, featuring Professor Kevin Gutzman, debuting at noon central here on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. And welcome to this edition of the Constitution Hour, featuring Professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman, best-selling author best-selling New York Times author of the Politically Incorrect Guide to the Constitution, James Madison and the Making of America, and very soon, the political thought of Thomas Jefferson. This is episode number 16 of the Constitution Hour. If you missed any of the previous 15 episodes, you can always download them as part of your membership at VeritasRadioNetwork.com. This episode is also available along with the first 10 episodes, Constitution Hour's Greatest Hits, as individual for sale downloads. Find those at VeritasRadioNetwork.com. All right, let's get right to it and uh, bring the professor on. So, Kevin, we have a uh, a very, very, very sumptuous bouquet of Constitution Hour uh, cornucopia to go through today. <laughs> there is no shortage of constitutional insanity today, right? Uh, yeah, insanity, dumbness, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I know you didn't want to talk about the uh, the Ted Cruz thing, but it is humorous uh, or that someone on fa- uh, Facebook is calling you an idiot over the uh, the eligibility of Ted Cruz, which uh, allegedly was settled this week in a New Jersey courtroom. My headline at MikeChurch.com today on that is New Jersey judge gavels uh, gavels final nail into Constitution coffin. Ted Cruz flees the scene of the murder. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about that uh, opinion, which doesn't really merit a lot of our discussion, is that after he lays out uh, a precedent that shows that Cruz isn't eligible, he then turns around and says, so he is. It's just, uh, it's as if it's an attempt to show us that we aren't going to pay any attention to the Constitution. It, and, of course, it's especially uh, appealing coming from the quote-unquote constitutionalist campaign. So- oh, yes, and we have lots to say about that today. 
So let's get right into it. Our first headline today on the Constitution Hour with Professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman is the following headline. Donald Trump flat out says Ted Cruz illegally coordinated with super PACs violating election law. Donald Trump in his, shall we say, defeat statement following his Wisconsin loss uh, said uh, leveled some pretty heavy accusations at his opponent. Uh, Edward Raphael Cruz, this time he's accusing the Republican presidential hopeful of flat-out violating election law. In a statement, Trump's campaign said, in part, not only was he, Cruz, propelled by the anti-Trump super PAC spending countless millions of dollars on false advertising against Mr. Trump, but he was coordinating with his own super PACs, which is illegal, who totally control him. According to OpenSecrets.org, there are 12 pro-Ted Cruz super PACs that have raised millions of dollars. A group called Keep the Promise 3 has raised the most funds at over $16.5 million. However, to date, we have no evidence that Cruz openly coordinated with these groups, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. The rules on what counts as coordination are a bit murky. Now, you wanted to talk about the this particular incident and about the rules governing super PACs, right? Well, yes, I think it's uh, this is an illustration of one absurd uh, feature of our contemporary constitutional law system. And for those of you listening who aren't familiar with this, the term constitutional law refers to the body of precedents, mostly court precedents, purportedly implementing the Constitution. So they, they essentially constitutional law tells us how the Constitution will be interpreted, how it'll be read. And we have a large body of constitutional law by this point that says, essentially, although you're free to print all kinds of pornography, and although you're free to uh, argue for the overthrow of the U.S. government on behalf of communist foreigners, you are going to be tightly regulated if you try to say that, say, Ted Cruz ought to be elected president. Uh, Let me restate that. You are very free to publish nude pictures of people in flagrante delicto, um, (laughs) but you will be tightly overseen by federal officials when it comes to buying newspaper advertisements or making television commercials advocating that Hillary Clinton be elected president. I think this is an absurdity. The whole area of law is an absurdity. There's there's no constitutional justification for there being federal statutes circumscribing your political expression, saying that, uh, well, you're allowed to speak up to this much, but beyond that, it could be a felony? Or if you are Ted Cruz, you are allowed to endeavor to persuade people to donate money to your campaign, which is overseen by somebody whom you have selected to Mm -hmm. propagate your message explaining why you should be elected president. But if you were to talk to someone who was working in an independent status for what's called a super PAC, whose purpose is to raise money beside Ted Cruz's campaign's money with the exact same purpose of getting Ted Cruz elected president, if you were to speak to the person who was running that effort, why, you could be committing a felony. But it's okay to publish all kinds of pictures of 18-year-old Janie, your next-door neighbor, in flagrante delicto. So this is what the Constitution's 
speech and press clauses main purpose is is to make sure that we can have pornography and advocacy of communism or whatever other bad idea uh but when <laughs> again when it comes to electoral advocacy why that that we've got to ration and of course they uh they're they're rationing what the super PACs do but they're not rationing what this uh, website called xhamster.com does which is now Threatened to cut off all porn to North Carolina. So, <laughs> as you talk about in flagrante delicto, uh, this may come up very soon here. We may have a Constitution Hour show here on the uh, the travails of xhamster.com and North Carolinians who have sued to return their access to their constitutional rights, which they have the constitutional right to, of course, Consume whatever that means, all, all manner of pornography. <laughs> well, you can't make this stuff up, Kevin. You just you, you can't. Sincerely, I, I just can't imagine that you know James Madison and Roger Sherman and John Witherspoon were <laughs> thinking. Okay, you know we're not so concerned that Americans be able to make political arguments in public. That's not so important, but. We need to have all kinds of readily available porn. That 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 is a top uh, purpose of the First Amendment, and so <laughs> the courts have allowed Congress to regulate. Or I, I prefer the word ration. They're ration. allowed to ration our political speech, our political expenditures for uh, newspaper advertising, or television advertising, radio advertising, or you know advertising on the Veritas Radio Network. We're we're the Congress is allowed to limit that, but um, we're going to have free reign for pornography, and we're going to have free reign for all kinds of other kooky ideas that might mislead people into harming themselves, or advocacy again of mass murder conspiracies, like uh, you know the form of government um, enjoyed by people in various foreign countries. Bernie Sanders admires, like say Cuba. Um, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's worse than ridiculous. It's, it's so obviously founded on a complete and utter, uh, disconnect from the actual constitutional, uh, intention that all you can do is shake your head. I, and, you know, going back to the most recent, uh, attempt by Congress to regulate campaign spending, uh, the uh, McCain-Feingold law that was overturned in the Citizens United case, uh, Senator McCain explained to us that the purpose of his statute was to ensure that incumbent congressmen didn't have to deal with too much criticism too close to an election. That, you might think there were other ways a congressman could avoid being criticized. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, doing a good job of representing his constituents. I'm guessing McCain <laughs> never thought of that idea. So... Um, they overturned that statute, and they said that we could have these super PACs, but they still left in place the specific limits on contributions to particular campaigns. It seems obvious to me that what ought to be done is we should have, I don't know, freedom to state our political views and freedom to advocate whatever electoral outcome we want. We should be free to contribute however much money we like to some candidate's campaign, and we should be free to 
conduct independent expenditure if we want to. And then if the representative, say Ted Cruz or Donald Trump or uh, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, whichever one of them, uh, wanted to talk to somebody who was running an independent uh, fund to support his campaign, there should be nothing wrong with that. I can't imagine we have a ban on Ted Cruz talking to a guy who runs an organization whose purpose is to elect Ted Cruz president. What kind of what kind of system is it that says <laughs> what kind of system is it that says Ted Cruz shouldn't be allowed to talk to the guy who's running a, a super PAC whose purpose is to elect Ted Cruz? Like why why would anybody think that was a good idea? Well, there must be an exception to this. What if you meet in the men's room? Ah, well. Wait, wait, I have one even better. What if you are a female, and of course Ted is a a male, as far as we know he is, um, and Ted petitions, uh, hey, wait a minute now, we need to get rid of all these bathroom rules, and they meet in the ladies' room. (laughs) Now! Well, I don't know, we could could consult that oracle of uh, political philosophy, um, Bruce Springsteen, and see what he thinks about that. I I think uh, aging soft rockers everywhere should uh, consult Bruce Springsteen on matters like this. Uh, and I was thinking as you were talking about James Madison and Roger Sherman getting together and, and going over the First Amendment going, do you think we should include the porn to North Carolina clause or should we leave that out? <laughs> I was thinking of, of what would have made James Madison laugh and uh, I wish you would tell the story because this is the Constitution Hour and uh, it's educational and entertaining. Tell the story that you once told me of how someone got James Madison to laugh and almost bust a gut at the start of the Virginia ratifying convention. You remember? Uh, well, the only story that comes to mind like that is that there were essentially three prominent spokesmen for ratification in the Virginia Ratification Convention. One was the governor, Edmund Randolph, tall, handsome, well-spoken, blue blood. Um, Then another one was Madison, of course. The third was George Nicholas, who, like uh, Randolph, was from a very prominent political dynasty in Virginia. Actually, his family had been, ultimately would be prominent in Virginia politics for over a century. Um... But apparently Nicholas was a very, shall we say, portly fellow. <laughs> and so somebody apparently sketched a, uh, an image of George Nicholas giving a speech, and it, it looked uh, exactly like a plum pudding. So <laughs> Madison, <laughs> apparently they showed Madison this image, and he couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> and actually, the, Nicholas... Nicholas has been more or less forgotten, but he was a very important, not only was he a very important figure in establishing the Virginia version of federalism, including, by the way, the right to secede in in the Virginia Ratification Convention, but he also was the guy who encouraged Madison to write a short pamphlet in support of uh, the Virginia, or in opposition, I should say, to the uh, general assessment bill that Patrick Henry was pushing, and the end result was that Madison wrote his little... uh, memorial and remonstrance against religious assessments so yeah. the um, remonstrance the famous remonstrance that's right yeah i so, think i, I think of that story when uh, whenever i think of well the guys the men that we call founding fathers well they were far and above anything that uh, we could imagine today and of course they couldn't have imagined uh, north carolina being deprived of hamster porn uh, yeah. at their time 
But that does not mean that they were devoid of a sense of humor and uh, didn't frequent the Raleigh Tavern while in Williamsburg, and I don't know where they went in uh, in Richmond. Uh, one more thing that I'd, I'd like to talk about with the Super PAC question, and you mentioned briefly the Citizens United case, which apparently was a lawsuit, uh, well, not apparently, it was a lawsuit that was brought against uh, the original McCain-Feingold Act, right? Yeah, what happened was that a group called Citizen Un- Citizens United, which really was, uh, what's the fellow's name, David Boyce? Is that his name? I'm not sure. Uh, who had been prominent in... Uh, he was a congressional aide in the 90s, as I recall, and he had been involved in some controversy. So he left working in the U.S. House and uh, started running his own independent effort. And he, he made a, a movie about Hillary Clinton, why Hillary Clinton shouldn't be elected to any other political offices. Right. And so ultimately uh, he was taken to court because it was said that this expenditure violated the McCain-Feingold bill, and um, ultimately the Supreme Court said, well, he had a right to do this, and uh, people could spend basically as much money as they wanted on political campaigns as long as they didn't coordinate them with the candidate. So now we have the very peculiar situation in which people are free to give money uh, in support of, say, you know, Donald Trump for president, so long as Donald Trump doesn't control when the money is spent, where it's spent, what kind of advertising it's spent on, or what it says. Now, in other words, if you want to, if you want to go out and attack uh, Bernie Sanders on behalf of Hillary Clinton, you're free to do that. But Mrs. Clinton can't have anything to do with it. I, I think that's just nonsensical. It, it ought to be up to Hillary Clinton to decide if the donors want it to be up to her to decide what her campaign's message is. But this is the situation that uh, Congress and the Supreme Court have left us in, and it seems pretty obvious that it's completely contrary to the Constitution's injunction that Congress shall make no law uh, infringing the freedom of speech or press. Yeah, and one of the things uh, one of the things that came up in the Citizens United case was that the uh, the defense brought up that well, if you're going to say this about uh, the movie about Hillary Clinton, I think it was Stop Hillary or something to that effect. If you're going to say that about this movie, why aren't you going to say the same thing about Fahrenheit 9-11? I think Michael Moore actually came up during the uh, during the arguments of this case. Um, and it was just to me, I can remember covering this, was just a another one of these ridiculous, vainglorious, multi-hundred or thousand-page-long attempts for Congress to basically set their buddies up in positions of influence and uh, large receptions of cash um, uh, that would uh, heretofore have been illegal, but to make them legal, which I contend today, Kevin, most of the tax code, that's what its purpose is, to to make the illegal usury uh, reception of money legal so that the $4 trillion banquet can be divvied up between the two parties every year. And McCain-Feingold was just another attempt at this. And as you mentioned in the beginning, this was Senator McCain going, ah, screw everybody, scum. 
You can't make fun of me. You can't go in my campaign. You can't. My friends, I'll follow you to the gates of hell. You can't say those things about me in a campaign. I'll make a law. I'll make a law. And Russ will come with me. And Russ, Russ and I will make a law. And they did. And, of course, that is not the, uh, the law anymore. And ultimately, uh, when co uh, Congress uh, deigns to do something like this, and they go ahead and they pull it off, and then there's a case where it's, uh, where it's heard, it's very rare that the Supreme Court actually does deal with an act of Congress and then tells Congress, yeah, you probably shouldn't have done that. Is this one of the rare cases where the Supreme Court actually said that Congress acted in an unconstitutional matter? Um, uh, not the, uh, the Citizens United part, but the McCain-Feingold part, because that's what ultimately led to what we call 527s today, right? Well, again, what they did was they said that uh, you couldn't have limitations on independent expenditures, but they they still require this distinction between the campaign and the independent expenditure. So, in other words, uh, you have a pretty low limit on the amount of money you could give to Donald Trump for president, right? but you have no limit on what you could give to Mike Church loves Donald Trump for president. Right. Or, you know, so Mike Church loves Donald Trump for president, could go out and spend 50 million dollars on advertising against Ted Cruz, uh, Hillary Clinton and or Bernie Sanders. But I think the limit is twenty five hundred bucks that Mike Church could give to Donald Trump for president. So it just doesn't make any sense. There's no you know, there's no reason why Congress should be allowed by the federal courts under the speech and press clauses, which say Congress shall make no law infringing the freedom of speech and press, um, there's no reason why Congress should be allowed to do this. It clearly infringes your freedom of speech or press. It clearly keeps you from paying for advertisements bought by the Hillary Clinton campaign, which might be what you want. So it's... As in many areas of constitutional law, it's without any obvious justification. It's had very bad results because you end up now with unknown people buying ads uh, attacking Ted Cruz or attacking uh, Hillary Clinton. And I think that's not as that's not desirable. If the alternative is to know who's buying these ads, if you ought to, it ought to, ideally it would be Ted Cruz buying anti-Trump ads. Trump buying anti-Cruz ads, each of them buying positive ads about himself, and then people could kind of weigh the messages instead of having who knows whom saying, you know, uh, Cruz's wife is ugly. Well, Melania is not, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> enough of this already. Or uh, xhamster.com buying ads for all of, all of the above, daring them. <laughs> To actually campaign in the state of North Carolina, if you if if Donald Trump shows up in campaigns in the state of New York, we're going to cut the porn off to New York. <laughs> the, 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 if if you people are wondering why I keep alluding to this, is because as I was telling Kevin during the uh, show prep today, that you can't make this stuff up. It sounds like it came out of a Bill, uh, not a Bill, a, a Keanu Reeves movie that the XHamster.com site is actually very serious of, uh, about citing on these grave constitutional matters of our time. And I can't wait until Anthony Kennedy, Kevin. I cannot wait until Anthony Kennedy has to cast the deciding vote for whether or not it is constitutionally permissible 
for the state of North Carolina to ban 42-year-old sex offender perverts from sharing a bathroom half-naked with my 18-year-old daughter. I can't wait to hear how the oracle of all things oracle and 14th Amendment, Anthony Kennedy, decides or comes down on this. And, of course, as you and I have noted many times before, this is an alternative to having a constitutional government. <laughs> this has just nothing to do with constitutional government. You had to drop that in, and I'm glad that you did. It has absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with having a constitutional government. With um, uh, As we go to our first time out, let's just reset that. Three, ban- three branches, bicameral legislature, uh, judiciary with a very specific, precise, and limited purview, an executive with a very limited, specific, and precise purview, and uh, so much for that. <laughs> and I would say, Von Voyage, au revoir, yes, so much for that. How many bombs did uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner of 2009, President Barack Hussein Obama. Mm-mm-mm. How many bombs did he drop last year? You, you gave me a count before we went on today. And I read today that it was 23,144. And that's just one year's worth, not 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 seven years' year's worth. That's one year of peace. One <laughs> And the seas have ceased to rise. That's one year of, of peace. And cell phones now. Uh, yes. And had the seas stopped rising? Yeah, well, that's what he said was going to happen. That, uh, there you go. More bombs, less sea rise. What can possibly go wrong? Uh, Kevin, hold that thought. When we come back, we're going to deal with this another congressional or another uh, constitutional outrage. And that is the constitutionality. And this must happen of federal school lunches having meat and taters in them. I kid you not. And a certain presidential candidate who is the Constitution candidate is going to guarantee that that becomes a Constitution reality. This is a Constitution Hour with Professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman. We shall return with our next segment. Remember, if you missed any of the previous segments of this show, you can always get them in the Founders Pass section at VeritasRadioNetwork.com. If James Madison were still alive, he would listen to the Constitution Hour featuring Professor Kevin Gutzman here on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. Patrick Henry were still alive. He would listen to the Constitution Hour, featuring Professor Kevin Gutzman, debuting at noon central here on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. And welcome back to the Constitution Hour, featuring Professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman, best-selling New York Times author of James Madison and the Making of America. And at this time next year, just in time for Valentine's Day, The political thought of Thomas Jefferson. 
If you miss any of the episodes of the Constitution Hour with Professor Dr. Kevin Goodsman, all 15 of them, you can download the first 10 episodes, Const uh, the Constitution Hour, Greatest Hits, and uh, that's for one low price. And if you'd like to get individual episodes, they are all going to be very soon available individually for $1.99. So you can download to your heart's content. Each episode comes with a free preview, so you can sample whether or not you'd like to actually download that episode. Details at VeritasRadioNetwork.com. So, uh, Kevin, back to the uh, uh, question at hand. Uh, will we be re regaled with your impending nomination for the Pulitzer Prize uh, Valentine's Day next year for the political thought of... Thomas Jefferson. Well, the book is actually going to be called Thomas Jefferson Revolutionary. Okay, Thomas uh, Jefferson Revolutionary. But, but, yes, it's in the catalog for January to March of St. <laughs> Martin's Press, which is the same Macmillan imprint that published James Madison and the Making of America. So I know it's coming out in January. It, it's, I'm sure, going to be available for pre-order sooner than that, but... I will, of course, the minute I know, let everybody else know when it's going to be available. <laughs> and the joke is, if you're not a listener from the old station in the old country, is that James Madison and the Making of America did come out on Valentine's Day, 2010? 2011. 2012. Uh, yeah, like I said, 2012, that's when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Kevin made an appearance on the Mike Church show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Show on Valentine's Day, and it was a great Valentine's Day gift to give your sweetheart, James Madison and the Making of America. So it may be a great Valentine's Day gift to give your sweetheart, uh, Thomas Jefferson Revolutionary. <laughs> I look forward to the debut. But we have things and matters of real serious import to get to here, and I should stop clowning around with all these inanities and talk about xhamster.com. For example, if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty, folks, if you want to know what is important to the most and greatest constitutional conservative in the history of the world history of constitutional conservative presidential candidates. There has been never been anyone that has lived, eaten, slept, and breathed pure, 100% pure, 200 proof, original intent constitutionalism than Edward Raphael Cruz. And to prove it, he's proven himself ineligible for the office. But he unabated, undaunted, Captain Constitution to the rescue, continues on his quest to return constitutional governance to Mordor on the Potomac River, or the Potomac River, as Madison would have written it, also known as Washington, D.C. And you know what he's going to do for us next? He is assuring constitutional conservatives that if he is elected president kevin we can look forward to a return of french fries and good old-fashioned greaseball hamburgers to federally financed or subsidized school lunch plates now if that's not constitutional i don't know what is well actually mike the way he put it was that if heidi cruz were first lady 
Mm. Then meat would re- return to the high school lunchroom. So we know that Heidi Cruz has in mind her program of advocacy for her four years as first lady, or eight. And actually, given the Hillary Clinton precedent, why couldn't she then become secretary of state? I mean, why not? Living in the same house with the president while possessing a graduate degree from Harvard or Yale seems to be the qualification necessary to become secretary of state. So when... When Mrs. Cruz completes her tenure as, and of course this is now a, an office, as Secretary of State, uh, as uh, Secretary of State in waiting, that is to say as First Lady, um, I think we should look forward to many more years of Cruz's uh, in high federal office and kind of rolling out her political career. The first initiative she's going to undertake is to undo Michelle Obama's uh, campaign for more nutritious school lunches by bringing back beef to the lunchroom. Only somebody absolutely dedicated to constitutionalism would have taken this stand, and I think anybody who cares about these questions has to say, well, now, now Edward Raphael Cruz, native-born Canadian, uh, natural-born Canadian candidate, of my heart, um, now he's shown me that he really is the fellow who cares about the Constitution. I'm glad that Mrs. Cruz does too. Yeah, and I can't. Uh, I look so forward to seeing the elimination of the budget line items for the office of First Lady. Now, this is quite a. Uh, as, as I tell my wife often, this is quite remarkable. <laughs> And I mean that it's quite remarkable. Isn't there some prohibition in the Constitution? Of course, this is not in the real Kevin, in the real constitutional conservatives version of the Constitution that Mark Levin hands out, for example. There is no prohibition on uh, titles of nobility and emoluments or any of that sort of thing, is there? Well, the problem course is that uh, the constitutionalist candidate here has decided essentially to endorse the existence and I guess continued funding of what is a completely unconstitutional office, the office of first lady. So somehow in your and my lifetime it's come to be that if you are the spouse of the president you get a press secretary an office, an officer of the press secretary, a chief of staff, and various other aides. You get transportation for your aides and the rest of, and your, the more elite members of, of your staff. You uh, apparently have a publicity budget, too, because Mrs. Obama traveled around the country, don't forget, on her unforgettable drink water tour. So if Mrs. Obama's drink water tour is prologue, and apparently it is, since Mrs. Cruz is going to undertake to undo the uh, broccoli emphasis of Mrs. Obama's tenure as First Lady, then we can expect that Mrs. Cruz will be traveling around the country to explain to people the benefits of Chili Mac. (laughs) This story actually comes from the uh, it comes from the Daily Mail dot uh, uk, and uh, it reads thus: 
Take that, Michelle Obama. Ted Cruz promises school children that if his wife becomes first lady, French fries are coming back to the cafeteria. And then uh, Cruz uh, said this at a campaign stop in uh, Iowa, apparently. Let me say something that Donald won't say to the school-age kids here. If Heidi Cruz becomes the next first lady, French fries are coming back to the cafeteria. And with that, to thunderous applause, there went Edward Raphael, ineligible yet eligible Cruz, off into the record books as the first ineligible for the office of the presidency winner of the office of the presidency in Iowa. So the <laughs> first state that gets a chance to vote <laughs> on uh, the presidential candidates returns in favor of the candidate that's not actually eligible. But why don't we talk for just a moment here about <laughs> the ridiculous, um, if we actually had a monarchical structure, uh, you might expect what you heard about the French fries to be the case. Because certainly, if whoever it was that preceded King Ferdinand had banned Spanish sausage from Spanish classrooms, when Queen Isabella came in, Queen Isabella could say that whoever it was that preceded Ferdinand uh, had aired and the queen was returning uh, Spanish sausages or uh, Spanish rice. Hey, Spanish rice. Returning Spanish rice with sausage in it back to the cafeteria. Uh, and you would say, oh, what makes Isabella such a kind and generous queen? Yes, yes, three golf claps for Isabella. Yes, yes, three golf claps. Um, but we don't have a monarchy. And what is really uh, just... Amazing to have witnessed in my adult lifetime is to have gone from, and you and I were talking about this before the program, uh, to have been bombarded with the idea that not only do we have first ladies in an office of first lady now, we basically are told that we have first families now and uh, that they all uh, have some sort of privilege and that we must know things about them because if we don't know things about them, then we can't know things about the president. If we don't know things about the president, well, then we don't know what kind of knee-jerk things that he's going to do since he has all this power that the uh, crude Constitution uh, does not give him. And, of course, that's uh, doing all the things that President Obama has done, such as drop those 21,000 bombs that Professor Gutzman was talking about previously. But, Kevin, it, it must really be... And it has to have, uh, it would have to wait upon the minds of the men that ratified the Constitution to witness in our modern era that there are entire reality television shows now that are basically the stars of those reality TV shows are the candidates and the families of the candidates for the office of the presidency. If uh, this isn't, uh, if we aren't the ridiculous people that we have been ridiculously waiting for, I'd like to know who is. <laughs> well, you're right that in Britain in the 19th century, they had a queen named Victoria who set the record um, for the longest reign in Britain's history. And she had a consort named Prince Albert. And 
Victorian Albert uh, had the same kind of family role in British life as Michelle and Barack apparently aspire to. That is, Albert uh, was a public figure in the same way that Victoria was a public figure. And on what ground was he a public figure? Well, he was married to the Queen. One thing that's supposed to be different about a republic is that we don't have this kind of blood-derived uh, relationship-derived power in our society, but we do. We do. Now, of course, we've long known that if you are if you have a famous name, you're more likely to be elected, but I, I think that's an unavoidable fact of life. However, it isn't true that because you're married to or a child of the president, it's incumbent upon the public to pour millions of dollars into your pocket, and that's essentially what we've done, you know? That's essentially what we've done. So the American taxpayer, or maybe it's future generations as we borrow the money, um, have come to bear the burden of very expensive accommodations, travel arrangements, uh, itineraries, um, entourages for the whole extended apparatus of the president. And I would have hoped, and I've mentioned to you for years that I've hoped, that there would be some Republican uh, president who would say, well, enough of this. We don't need another drink water tour. We don't need Mrs. George W. Bush telling us, you know, it would be a good thing to go to the library. I mean, how much money is this inanity worth? But instead, Ted Cruz, Mr. Constitutionalist, you might have hoped would be the one who would say, well, no, this actually is not constitutionalist. Um, he's saying, oh, yes, once my family's ensconced at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, why um, Mrs. Cruz is going to get right on the business of telling high school kids what to eat for lunch. <laughs> so we're basically meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Or another way of putting it is, well, what happens if uh, Harvard grad President Barack Obama leaves office and is succeeded by Ted Cruz? Why, Cruz and his wife are both Harvard grads. So... Stand by for more of the same. That's exactly right. And I was just going to say, uh, Captain Constitutionalist uh, uh, Ted Cruz, who uh, hinted to a crowd in Iowa last summer that if he were elected president, we were going to find out whether or not sand glows in the dark, thereby animating that there's a nuclear bomb in Iran's future. Um, and I'm just wondering now if the Harvard graduate team of Heidi and, and Edward, Edward Cruz might fancy to try and break the baseball, uh, the record that's on the back of the Obama bomb a lot baseball card. You know, you, you can imagine uh, Cruz saying, "Well, only twenty thousand four hundred and six bombs to go." This is the Constitution Hour with Professor Dr. Kevin Goodsman. I am your host and moderator, Mike Church. If you miss any of these episodes of the Constitution Hour, they are always available for download at VeritasRadioNetwork.com. Remember, you can always take this show and all the other six shows on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade channel along with you by downloading the Veritas Radio Network app in the iTunes or Apple Store, in the Android or Google Play Store, and in the Windows Phone Store. The apps are all $1.99 apiece. And they have all the contact information, all the schedules of the shows, all the ways to listen to the show, a listen button, a call crusade channel button on the phone, many, many more features that I can't describe here. Find those apps in 
those stores online and search for the Veritas Radio Network app. Moving on now, now that we've tackled the really difficult constitution issues of hamburgers and french fries and school lunches, <laughs> let's move on to one that is really important. Here's a headline from the Los Angeles Times. Christian Cross ordered off Los Angeles County Seal. Restoring a tiny Christian cross to the Los Angeles County Seal is unconstitutional because it places the county's power, prestige, and purse behind one religion, a federal judge ruled Thursday. U.S. District Court Judge Christian, Christina A. Snyder, the irony of her name cannot be lost on you or I, Kevin, Christina. Yeah, U.S. District Court Judge Christina A. Snyder's 55-page-long decision was a victory for the American Civil Liberties Union, which sued in 2014 after the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors voted to reinstate the cross. Now, what a great constitution and wonderful constitution system that we have when cities in America are forbidden from establishing countywide religions by putting a crucifix on a county seal, Kevin Goodsman. Well, there are two questions here. One is, is it a good idea to have a cross in that county seal? The second one is, who makes that decision? So uh, beginning in the second decade of the 20th century, federal courts began to say that the first eight amendments of the U.S. Constitution, uh, which begin by saying in the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion and so on, and uh, which uh, were preceded when they were sent to the states for their ratification by a preamble explaining that the reason for these amendments was further to clarify the limitations on the power of the federal government. Uh, the federal courts began saying in the second decade of the 20th century, fully 50 years after it was ratified, that the 14th Amendment made those first eight amendments, almost every provision among them, uh, enforceable by federal courts against state governments. So in other words, what we've come to have when it comes to religion policy is an inversion of the system that was intended to be protected by the First Amendment, which was that these questions would be left to the states. And you might notice that's the principle for which the revolution was fought, the idea that people should be governed from Williamsburg or Charlestown or Hartford instead of from uh, Westminster, right outside London, England. Uh, <laughs> instead of that, in the 14th Amendment, uh, we're told 50 years after it was ratified that these some of these provisions in the first eight amendments now mean that state governments no longer have control of these questions, but instead it's federal courts who have control of them. So we've gone from uh, a set of amendments whose purpose was to ensure that the federal Congress less Republican, less representative than state legislatures, didn't take this authority from the states. We've gone to that from that to federal courts, which are, of course, far less Republican, not only than state legislatures, but even than Congress, taking control of these questions from the states. And so, and, and I hasten to add that this claim that those amendments are made enforceable by the 14th Amendment through its due process clause against state governments is based on no evidence whatsoever. That is, this claim is totally bogus. 
And how do I know that it's totally bogus? Well, uh, yes, how do you know? Well, because uh, soon after the 14th Amendment was ratified, we have a conflict in Congress over adding an amendment to the Constitution saying that the principle of separation of church and state should be enforceable against state governments. And this was debated in Congress, actually a majority of members of Congress, but not the two-thirds necessary to approve an amendment. A majority of members of Congress actually approved an amendment that would have said that uh, the separation of church and state was enforceable by the federal courts against state governments. And nobody said during this debate, well, we don't need an amendment saying the separation of church and state is enforceable against state governments because we've already incorporated the Establishment Clause into the 14th Amendment. So that if that had actually happened, somebody would have noticed at the time that you didn't need soon after ratifying the 14th Amendment to turn around and adopt uh, another amendment making this principle enforceable against state governments. But the reason nobody said that is because it wasn't true. Nobody in it ratifying the 14th Amendment had thought they were making the First Amendment religion clauses enforceable against state governments. If that had been uh, what the 14th Amendment was supposed to do, it wouldn't have been ratified. And wow. so what we've had essentially is that federal courts thinking that these questions are interesting, realizing that they could decide them and seeing that nobody would do anything about it, nobody would stop them, uh, have just taken on the role of the grand censors of American government behavior and have decided to root out, whenever they get the chance, any mention of the traditional religious commitments of the American people. So now you have the county, <laughs> the county of Los Angeles being disallowed to have a small cross among several items in its county seal. Notice, however, that nobody has yet said, well, we should change the name of this county because uh, originally the city of Los Angeles had the name Ciudad de Nuestra Señora La Reina de Los Ángeles, which means the city of Our Lady, the, the Queen of the Angels. It's been shortened to the Angels, uh, but still it refers to the Angels, which is a religious uh, concept straight out of Catholicism uh, in this instance. And so one one expects that eventually if these people are actually going to have the courage of their convictions, they're going to have to say that San Diego, Santa Clara, Santa Fe, Francisco. San Francisco, San Los Angeles, you know. San Bernardino. Think, yes, you would think that all these places needed to be renamed. And, right. Uh, well, I don't put it past them. There Actually, there doesn't seem to be any <laughs> limit on this. So um, it's a farce. It's offensive to anybody who cares about the idea of constitutional, uh, decentralized Republican government, which is the kind that in theory we're supposed to have in America, although you and I never seem to have a shortage of uh, matters to talk about, all of which illustrates that we actually don't. So... Um, <laughs> This is ridiculous, unjustifiable, and totally consistent with what the higher courts, including the Supreme Court, have told the lower court judges they have to do. So there you go. Well, uh, in a closing note, because we're out of time for this segment, uh, I would just like to go back and say, what was that cat's name in the Virginia ratifying convention that made sure that a uh, secession clause was in Virginia's ratifying instrument? Well, uh, George Nicholas told uh, 
the Virginia Ratification Convention that if they agreed to the new constitution, they would be as one of 13 parties to a compact and that their understanding of the constitution would be binding on the other parties. He said, if the new government perverts the powers we're giving it, well, then we can reclaim them. Well, I, uh, I have a couple of words to say to the audience as we close this segment out. I'll give you four. Kevin Rader Constantine Gutzman. I'll give you five more. Politically incorrect guide to the Constitution. And then if that's not enough, I'll give you three more. Albert Taylor Bledsoe. Case closed. Constitution hour complete. Kevin, we have one final segment, uh, so stand by, and we'll be right back for that. Boy, what an episode we've had here, the Constitution Now, Remember, if you miss any of these episodes, boy, howdy, are you going to want to catch up? It is easy to do. Go to VeritasRadioNetwork.com and become a Founders Pass member today for as little as 23 cents per day, and you've got over a 20 hours of listening to Constitution Day Hour episodes. You can catch up on them just by becoming a Founders Pass member today. We'll be back with our final segment here on the Constitution Hour with Professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman on the Crusade Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Networks. The Professor is in. Send your questions for Professor Kevin Gutzman to constitution at veritasradionetwork.com. And that wraps up this episode of the Constitution Hour with Professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman. I've been your host and moderator, Mike Church. We thank you for listening to the Crusade Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network. But we need and rely upon your support. So please visit us today at VeritasRadioNetwork.com and consider becoming a Founders Pass member. Consider donating to our crowdfunding efforts consider purchasing advertising here on the crusade channel and consider saying hey there's a great new radio station i listen to it's called the veritas radio network crusade channel i think you ought to give it a go to your friends and family for christopher warshauer young christopher our producer for kevin gutzman our host i am mike church saying so long see you next week here for another episode of the constitution hour with Professor Dr. Kevin Gutzman here on the Crusade Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network.